Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. It's Friday, people. You made it. We made it. Here we are at the sunrise of the weekend. You know, I was just talking with a coworker yesterday. It's better to anticipate the weekend than to be in the weekend. It's kind of like vacation, you know, the buildup. We'll say a hunting trip. The anticipation, the preparation that happens both physically and mentally for the weekend I think it makes it a little bit sweeter than actually being on the weekend. Because once you're there, you're like, oh, this much closer to the end of the weekend. But here we are with a brand new, fresh, hot off the press episode of the First Gen Hunter podcast. And it is Friday. In fact, Friday, I'm not going to make any for certain promises here because there's very few things in my life right now that are certain. But Friday is probably actually going to be our new podcast release date because uh, with my new job, I am working later on Wednesdays. I also have uh, church service every week on Wednesdays. Just makes it too tight of a night um, to to uh, be able to fit in getting a podcast all finalized and ready to go so fridays are probably going to be the day um if not then it'll probably be earlier in the week and uh, i'll just have to you know work ahead but uh we're here people and you know i have a lot to live up to because fridays are just so fantastic that if i'm not on my a game then you know i'll feel like i'm failing you more than i would already but I don't think that's going to be the case here because this is a great interview, an interview here with John Teeter of Whitetail Landscapes in the great outdoor state of New York. Wait, did I hear that correctly? Yes. Yes, you did. New York is a beautiful natural area. And if you're like me from the Midwest, then that might be kind of hard to understand because we only view it as like New York City, smog, traffic, uh, horns, stoplights, skyscrapers, all that stuff that seems the opposite of the pure, serene woodlands that exist all around that big city, okay, all around the Big Apple. And uh, it truly is a beautiful state, a wild state. And I've driven across that state many times and have noticed that it is a whitetail state. There's a lot of deer there, and John is going to tell us all about him. He's also a land manager. That's the whitetail landscapes part of uh, what John does. And so he's going to drop some truth on us on how to uh, prepare properties better. He's going to tell us a little bit about the services he he uh, provides for clients and the value that he offers. And uh, so you're definitely going to want to tune into this one for multiple reasons. And uh, you know what? This could be a bucket list state for you, a place that has a lot of history. You know, whenever I think of the East Coast, I just think of that all the time. There's so much history there. You know, as uh, as uh, 
the Western push that has happened since the settlement of our nation. You know, obviously there's tons of controversy there, tons of drama, wars have been fought uh, around that expansion, but it is history nonetheless. And so there's a lot of significance there. So I think going and hunting in some of those places like New York would provide a ton of extra surrounding significance and surrounding value so i think an episode like this with john is just really cool to dig into and learn more about this great state the empire state here on the first gen hunter podcast episode number 67 hope you enjoyed as much as i did thanks for tuning in everyone and have a great start to your weekend I remember growing up and hearing references to New York, you know, the state, the the state with good old New York City, uh, the, fav- the famous, uh, I think it was Frank Sinatra who wrote the song, you know, New York, New York, Empire State of Mind. You know, we, 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 we got plenty of that New York culture and a New York reference and, and uh, maybe a tiny bit of perspective, because how can you really have much perspective without being there? But, but what I'm saying is growing up here in the Midwest, far from New York, I had this idea in my mind and that grew as I went through my school years. And, and I think it was in junior high, I uh, became obsessed with the uh, My Side of the Mountain books. Brandon, did you ever read those? No, I, I I didn't get into those. It sounds really interesting, though. Oh man, you got to treat yourself sometime. They're uh, they're they're a they're a real page turner. They're they're like the ultimate adventure for a uh, you know a, a junior high age or high school age boy. But uh, I I just I guess I started to get this idea of of a place that seemed really interesting. It seemed like it was kind of the center of attention for the rest of the United States. You know, it was. Uh, uh, if, if you wanted to be so, somewhere where something was happening, you were in New York. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, of, of course, uh, the tragedy with uh, September 11th back in 2001 and, and all that just kind of, you know, reinforced that. But it felt like it was a million miles away. Well, why do I bring that up? Well, because since that time, just kind of, I don't know, through through serendipitous means, I have probably passed through the state of New York no less than 10 times <laughs> and uh, uh, have been, I haven't hit every hot spot in the, in the state, but I've been to a lot of them and um, you know, it's a beautiful place. One that is, is even uh, maybe more magnificent is if that's a, if that's a good way to oversell, you know, say this, uh, all the New Jersey people probably say I'm way overselling this and, and all that, but, but, uh, you know, it's just a cool place. And, um, the last few times that I've gone across the state, and if you've been listening to the show long enough, you know, the reason for that is my in-laws live in the great state of New Hampshire. And so, uh, we drive across there usually at least once a year. And, um, you know, the the thing that I've noticed the most lately are the number of deer <laughs> that you see mm-hmm. in New York. 
there's a lot of them there. And I would even say there's a pretty good hunting culture there, although you don't really hear too much about it. But every once in a while, you know, you come across somebody who's who's uh, got that figured out in, in that state. And uh, one of those guys that I've come across is our guest tonight, Mr. John Teeter of Whitetail Landscapes who uh, we were doing a little talking before the show, John, and uh, like a true uh, outsider, I use the term upstate New York. Can you uh, kind of give us like a, uh, a little <laughs> bit of a uh, local guide education on the term upstate New York? Yeah, no, that's, that's totally fine. Um, and people get this confused quite often. So there's downstate and upstate you know, downstate is, is really closer to the city, those areas around the city. There's Long Island, which is completely separate, but, you know, uh, acquired. And then there's upstate. Uh, upstate really consists of like three main boroughs. There's kind of Buffalo, Syracuse, and Albany. And those are kind of the big highlight cities. I live in Syracuse, which is the central part of the state. Okay. I live just south of there, about 20 miles in a little a small town, um, but there's a lot of rural areas throughout New York State. Um, and when you say New York, people think of the city; they don't think of upstate necessarily. So that's mm-hmm. you know that's something to keep in the back of your head when you're thinking of New York mm-hmm. State. Yeah, good to, good to know that. I always feel kind of you know when I when I meet somebody who's actually from there, I get ready to make one of my uh, references that I've used a million times in my life before then. And it's like at that moment, while I'm saying it, I'm like, am I about to say something that makes me sound really stupid and uneducated? (laughs) So uh, I've had that, I've had that, uh, uh, floating around in my brain since the last time I had to use the term. So I'm glad you could clear that up for me, but you know, you know, John, we're really glad that you're on the show tonight and um, we, we, you know, we're super thankful you came on and, and gave us some of your Sunday evening, you know, you, you've sacrificed uh, some of the, uh, the precious time before the Sunday night, work anxiety starts kicking in and uh, you're here sp- <laughs> spending that those precious last few hours with us. But, um, you know, before we really dive into deer hunting and, and land management uh, for deer hunting in New York, I thought it'd be kind of a uh, good way to break the ice here just based on the time of year that we're at. Deer season's right around the corner. And so, uh, I thought it'd be cool to get a little update here from the three states represented on this episode of the podcast and uh brandon can you uh let us know yes i know what the answer is but our listeners probably don't (laughs) and uh i'm very jealous but can you tell us when deer season opens for you yeah man so we're we're t-minus just a few days here um september 1st Um, we're kicking things off um for for deer season for delaware so very excited about that um you know been it's been a it's been a very busy summer but um it's been a very productive summer. I've been able to do um, a lot of bass fishing, been able to do uh, some deep sea fishing and, and enjoyed that mm-hmm. off the coast mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and been able to, uh, you know, I'm excited actually to plan, you know, I, I try to plan uh, usually a trip a year, you know, so this year we did the deep sea trip where I, you know, get a group of guys together and, you know, have a good time of fellowship. And uh, I was actually also able to plan a dove hunt. Um, on Labor Day, so uh, we're going to be doing a dove hunt on Labor Day, and and uh, we've got a little spot. That I think we're going to probably have ten guys um, throughout the day. You know, some in the morning, some in the afternoon, and uh, just come out and kind of that'll be kind of a, an official kickoff um, to the season. So we're excited about that. We had some 
um, food plot. We did some food plot planning, you know, back in the spring. And so we've been kind of managing and maintaining those and been trimming them, kind of keeping them nice. And so it was been able to be up at the property actually quite a bit uh just these last couple of weeks you know after work you know you just get get up there from you know five to seven or so and do some trimming and different things um it been able to have a good number of good shooter bucks on cam at the various properties so we're excited about that actually just sent out the uh the rules and regs and property maps for our uh, hunting club yesterday so excited about that i'm doing more mentorship this year you know with um mentoring some of the some uh people some actually a couple people that are completely brand new um, to hunting really never, never done it at all. So kind of like coaching them and, and, you know, getting their license and all that type of good stuff and kind of getting them into it. And then some others who have been into it for just a little while, but continuing the coaching and, and the mentoring side of things. So a lot going on, but all very exciting stuff and uh, looking to mix in, you know, getting the kids out there this year a little bit too, and exposing them a little bit more. So it's, uh, it is, it's looking pretty good right now. I'm, I'm to say I'm excited would be, a would be a classic understatement. This is this is rolling into the best time of the year. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, man, that's that sounds awesome, man. And of course, you had to you had to just yeah. twist the knife on uh, everything Delaware has to offer there by uh, bringing up not only the uh, three days until deer season fact, but um, also the uh, yes. saltwater fishing. But no, that, I'm happy well, for I you. As jealous as I am. Well, I did count myself blessed this year because, as Kent knows, um, whenever I plan, actually, really anything, whenever I plan anything, (laughs) um, usually people ought to um, update their will or their life insurance policy because things tend to go wrong. And uh, fortunately, this year, I was able to avoid anyone getting seasick. You know, we went we went out, we went way out. And, uh, I mean, we caught some mahi, we caught some sea bass, we caught some flounder, we caught Man. actually caught several different, about seven different types of fish out there. And um, for the first time ever on any deep sea trip that I've planned, no one got sick. So Wow. <laughs> so I was very happy about that. Everyone had a good time. Everyone caught fish. It was a good time. Wow. Well, <laughs> You know, maybe the curse is broken then, and maybe I can finally plan my uh, summer trip out to Delaware and uh, <laughs> get out there and try <laughs> some so. of that. This is this is boding well. Yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, uh, now, what about for you, Kent? I mean, how are you? I mean, I know you got you've been obviously busy with the move and everything that you've got going on, but I mean, have you been able to make any time for anything this summer? You know, practicing, fishing, anything on your side of things? You know, I think this is probably the least fishing I have done in, man, maybe decades uh, this summer, which is yeah, kind of, yeah. which is kind of sad. However, um, you know, it's it's for a yeah. good reason. I'm here on my happy hunting grounds, yes. and uh, you know, deer season may not open on September 1st like it does in <laughs> in uh, Delaware, but uh, it does open on uh, October 1st. And uh, like you were saying with dove season, I got that coming up here on Labor Day weekend. And so I'm definitely planning to get out and uh, hopefully uh, knock down a few uh, few jalapeno poppers and, uh, you know, nice. get something on the grill. Maybe, maybe, maybe cook some, uh, some uh, jalapeno poppers up with some uh, backstrap or something like that. I did that last year. That was, that was a lot of fun and really delicious, but, yeah. but uh, no, I've, I've been, like you said, I've been busy man with the move and getting the house settled and getting all the holes patched that I had to cut for the electrician and, yep. and um, 
but I have been getting out and I'm trying to shoot my bow now every night and a big shout out to a podcast guest, Mr. Jeff Reed. He built me some absolute missiles for arrows this nice. year. I mean, these things, I, I feel so much more confident going into, going into the season this year with these on. I got, I upped my uh, broadhead game. Thanks to our friend, John Lusk from Lusk archery adventures and um nice. yeah i'm feeling pretty good going into the season despite how busy i have been and my goal really is to i mean almost daily now through september get out and shoot like at least 10 arrows in a day you know and just really try yeah. and try and uh, feel very comfortable with that but you know feeling pretty good and john what when, when do things do you, do you get some of that good you know, that, that good fortune that goes on there on the East coast in Delaware, does your deer season open up in just a few days or when do you get to get rolling here? So we're, we're October 1st and you know, I, 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 I it used to be the 15th or, or middle of the month. Um, they changed it a few Oof. years ago. And, um, you know, for me, I I'm running around. And in fact, today I was, I was working with a client today. Um, and, you know, I don't have a lot of time. So for me, you know, it, November 1st could be a preferred date, you know, just to, just sure. to catch up. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't have the, 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 time that I, that I used to have just, just to focus on, you know, my own hunting. Um, but you know, you know, I, I, I make that, I make it up for it. And, and, you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of, it's kind of shaped a lot of, you know, how efficient I am and, uh, you know, my ability to, to kind of be in the moment with everything. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't necessarily focus on the future, but I, I have enough data and, and enough resources and enough, you know, knowledge to kind of speed up the process and everything I'm doing. So, you know, I don't need all the time in the world to figure these things out. Um, yeah. you know, when you're designing hunting properties, obviously, um, you would assume the one that designs, you know, may know the most and, you know, I'm in the same boat as a lot of people, right? I, I, the whims of hunting, you know, with others or, you know, in spite of others. And there's, there's a lot that goes into it. So like I said, time management's my, my focus <laughs> right now. And I really just want to yes. shoot my bow. I was shooting my bow in my garage last night at nine o'clock trying to paper tune my backup bow, uh, just to get ready for, for hunting season. And I'm, you know, I'm like, Oh, I got to take the ball apart again. I'm like, you know, this is one less thing. I told my wife this morning is one less thing I got to do. She's like, what, what do you mean you got to take the ball apart? I'm like, ah, I want to use my bow from 10 years ago. I want to, you know, I don't know. And it's just, it's, you know, I create projects, I think. For myself, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, the curse of a perfectionist, right? You, uh, nothing is ever actually quite right. And, uh, you know, I, I can, I'm, I'm kind of weird when it comes to perfectionism. I am not a perfectionist. I would not describe myself that way. However, I can have perfectionist uh, tendencies at times, like mm -hmm. in uh, editing this podcast. Sometimes I go through and, and pick out every um and ah, and then other times I'm like, no, you have to like, let it go, man. <laughs> you can't, get, you can't, you can't, you can't get rid of all of that. And I'm a big ummer and R. So if you're listening to this, I know people, I have a problem. And <laughs> so I do, I do a, a lot of that, but, uh, I try not to see, I just did it right now. I try not to, uh, go too far down that road, but it does happen. So I can, I can relate to you a little bit, John. There's, there's sure. times when things just never are 
quite up to our standard, but you know what? We got to sometimes just roll with it too. Cause if uh, we're too busy playing with the bow in the shop, we're not out in the woods with it, trying to, trying to get a shot on a nice buck. So, mm-hmm. I, well guys, let's uh, go ahead and dive in here to, you know, really the heart of our conversation, which is we're talking deer in the empire state. We're talking a place where most people probably don't really think of deer hunting until if they're like me, they go driving across the state and they see those things everywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I thought that, that, um, that would be a, a great place to uh, head to. But before that, I kind of want to continue breaking the ice here on uh, just getting to know who John is. Um, for, as I mentioned earlier in the introduction, he is a land manager. He's in the state of, he's a deer hunter, as you've just heard, in the state of New York. But, uh, you know, with that being said, one thing that I always like to cover here when we have a new guest on the show which, you know, hopefully we'll be able to have you back on sometime, John, in the future. So uh, we wouldn't have to go through this again, but just kind of explaining to everyone what each guest's hunting background is to help paint this picture of, you know, as a first-gen hunter myself, knowing that there's a lot of different ways people get into the outdoors. And so there's not really a right way to get into the outdoors, I don't think. But um, how did you get your start? in the outdoors, specifically hunting, John? Yeah, I think when I was a kid, I was, I was probably an anti-hunter. I think all that Mm. stuff kind of concerned me. Um, you know, I think when I turned 10 or 11, I I remember my dad coming home and, uh, we had a farm. My, my, my dad didn't grow up on the farm, but my grandfather did. Uh, my dad inherited it and, uh, it's down in a a little area called, uh, Whitesville, New York, which is in Allegheny County. I grew up in the suburbs and, um, you know, I think him coming home with it, with a deer kind of just intrigued me at some point. And mm. I, I was, mm-hmm. I was quite a bit inundated with, with deer at that facet. Um, I, I was tracking deer in industrial parks. Um, I was seeing different landscapes. Hmm. Um, if you saw some of the areas where I was learning about deer, you know, this is in, in the nineties, um, you would be, um, pretty, pretty intrigued because low deer numbers, um, really dense thickets, um, really tough to hunt areas. And, uh, (laughs) I'll tell you a quick story. I built, uh, I built the tree stand. So my my father basically let me go off and figure things out kind of on my own. Right. Um, and and, and the betterment of that was I really got to learn from scratch with with really Mm. little input from him, which, which is good. Um, because, it allowed me to kind of shape a lot of my thoughts and my strategy. And uh, I would go down the street because I lived by these industrial parks and I would, they would throw out pallets all the time. So I'd go back home, take the pallets apart, and then I would build tree stands. So I, uh, I hunted in, uh, uh, it was a, a pharmacy distribution center. I don't even know if I got permission to hunt there. I think I snuck back there. Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm hunting. I'm hunting out of a, it's a poplar tree and I'm taking pallets and nails that I found in our garage. And I'm, I built the tree stand, right? <laughs> no harness, you know, no safety thing. My dad's like, Oh sweet. He bought me like a Fred bear or whatever. Um, you know, a $50 bow, you know, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, 10 cent, 10 cent arrows. And, um, it, 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 I think it had a toxic pond behind it. <laughs> it was just, just, really, <laughs> just, just, just really an interesting setup. Well, 
uh, it was the rut. It was my first, first year hunting. Um, and, uh, nobody in my high school went to a huge high school. I think I graduated like a thousand kids and wow. nobody in my high school hunted. I think one guy, my teacher was, uh, my, my teacher was, was in aquatic deer management. Now this is in the nineties. So I'm up in this sure, tree stand and uh, Early days. I told them the story. I'm like, I'm up in this tree stand and all of a sudden I see this giant buck. I mean, and I remember the buck clear as day and I had a grunt tube that I think I got in the mail where you, you send away if you. If you send us a letter, we'll send you a free grump tube. It sounds like a duck call. So I'm, quack, I'm, quack, I'm quacking at this buck, right? And I'm thinking to myself, all right, it didn't work. I'm like, well, what happened there? And I, it took me it took me like six months of thinking about that whole event. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you the evolution, you know, what happened after that point was just pure obsession. So my passion for the outdoors um, is a little bit beyond, I think, anything uh, I ever originally intended. You know, I have a business today designing hunting properties, but it all started back from pretty humble beginnings. I grew up in a small suburban area, but man, I hunted all sorts of locations um, and I've been extremely efficient, um, you know, and, you know, this is just in tactics, understanding deer behavior, breaking down deer in specific ways, um, I have my own kind of philosophy and agenda, how I, how I go about things. And, sure. you know, past eight years, I've killed my buck pretty much on the first set. Um, now, right. caliber of deer and quality of deer is much different in New York. Um, you may see a lot of deer on the roadsides, uh, probably depending on what time of year traveling out here. Because they're, they're eating uh, uh, salt. Um they they need salt to metabolize food so uh it's it's the salinity levels in the soil in these areas is pretty low um so in the winter time when you're driving to the area you'll see a lot of deer in there <laughs> so that's one thing to consider it's in the shrubbery so that's, that's one thing to consider but um you know the the general area is very unique the eco regions of new york state are something that you probably won't experience in a lot of other states yeah um you know, even in the Finger Lakes region, um, there's these beautiful Finger Lakes that 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 have so much agriculture and food availability, and the winters are not as harsh there. And then you come up to our area, and you get 150 inches of snow every day. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's very interesting. It's it's just such a d- dynamic environment for me to work in and work with clients in, you have to know so much about, you can't come out of state here. And, and I feel bad saying this because I'm sure people listen to this and say, you know, I hired a consultant out of state. You couldn't come out of state here and understand this eco region well enough to even assess what mm. to do in some of these areas. And yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's a personal opinion, but I think professionally it, it's, it's a tough environment. The culture's a lot different here. Uh, the attitude of hunting's mm-hmm. a lot different here. So it's, it's definitely unique. So I've had to evolve to, to, uh, understand and, uh, have a New York mentality with dealing with folks in New York. Um, <laughs> it, it's a, it's a different environment. So that's a little bit yeah. about some of my past, but you could talk about my business if you want. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll get, we do want to get into that for sure. And, yeah. uh, you know, really starting to hit on a couple of the things that I've noticed and, and, and maybe not noticed, but had questions about, you know, like, uh, uh, the whole part that you mentioned, even how you came into it from a really an urban deer hunting standpoint. And I'm glad you told that story because that was fun to picture. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just a, just a, uh, really unique way of, of, 
getting into it. And in a sense, I mean, I suppose you technically uh, aren't considered a first gen hunter, but the fact that you really had to learn it on your own in large part kind of puts you in the same boat as me. And uh, you know, that's, that's just a, a really cool way to have, who have come to have come into it, but you're right. We do need to start talking a little bit about whitetails there in, in, in New York in general. And so, um, you know, you started to, to paint that picture for us a little bit on how the landscape is, you know, you mentioned regions with, uh, really, really, uh, should we say excessive <laughs> snowfall and, uh, you know, uh, other areas like, New York City and and the immediate surrounding area, the the greater New York City area, I guess you would say, you know, that's going to be a very urban and and uh, totally different environment there. And I'm sure, you know, deer are highly adaptive. I think uh, I've even seen in the news that like in uh, Central Park, they've Central Park in New York City's kind of. <laughs> gotten way overpopulated but of of course instead of calling in hunters to take care of that didn't they uh didn't the the state kind of get get uh forced into doing uh um uh what was it vasectomies on the on the bucks there in the park or something like that yeah i think i think they were out there neutering um you know animals i mean you know yeah this is that's the asinine (laughs) this other part of these areas um and And the expense right the expense for it it was it was it was monstrous for taxpayers right well nobody wants to nobody wants to have blood on their hands right and there's there's so many individuals in certain areas that that just have you know such an opinion and uh you know are so out of touch with uh, basic human survival and, yeah. you know, you know, and, and that really separates the state, um, uh, politically and, and, and obviously in values. And, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's tough. And, and, you know, New York, New York state, uh, the, the, the culture is, is quite unique. Um, I, I call New York state, the gritty grinders and, um, <laughs> and, you know, take that for what it is. A lot of these individuals are, are growing up in areas that are somewhat economically depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the get ahead mentality and sometimes at no cost. Right. And yeah. mm-hmm. that, that sometimes that, 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 that turns into uh, a mindset that applies to a lot of different, um, uh, interests, uh, including hunting for that matter. Sure. And, uh, you know, it, a lot of people from New Jersey come up here and, and hunt. Um, a lot of my clients are out of staters. Um, and I find that always interesting because you would think I'd have more, I'm a New York guy. Um, I would have more clients that are New York based. That's not the case. Um, I, I do have New York based clients and a lot, but I, I have a lot, a lot of out of staters. Um, land is less expensive in certain areas. Um, that drives mm-hmm. interest. The quality of hunting in Western New York, for example, is far superior than the eastern part of the state or the central part of the state or the northern part of the mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. Um, that dictates uh, a lot of value for those trying to purchase land. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, when when I go through my process of evaluating, because I've done pre-purchase, you know, evaluations for folks, when I go through my process of evaluating things, the level of degree of specificity that you're looking at some of these properties is beyond uh, pretty much what 
even sophisticated people would think would be reasonable to look at, right? When we sure. hunt, we probably look at a few basic factors of, of making a decision to go after a deer. I'm looking at like 15, you know, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of them, uh, and, and, and think about that, like that's a one decision. When you're buying a piece of land and you're investing $3,000 an acre, you know, you're spending $300,000 on 100 acres. I mean, that's a hefty investment, right? What's your yeah. return going to be on that? And can you quantify that return in some output? And so that's kind of my objective, right? How can I get individuals um, with a quick return on investment um, with the least amount of expense and time? And it all starts mm-hmm. with planning. And that's pretty much where my business is, is evolved, right? I, I come up with the the grand plan of success and it's mm-hmm. not the Jeff Sturges plan or the Eric Long plan or any other plan that, that you see they're, 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 they're different. Um, and they're specific because I've really hunted a lot of, you know, I've hunted, uh, state land where there's probably less than 10 deer per square mile, oh, wow. which Iowa, you know, you, you know, I think on the side of the road, um, you know, you, you, you're probably able to count more deer in an afternoon than is maybe on 5,000 acres. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, yeah, just saying, yeah. I'm just saying that tongue in cheek, but I, yeah. I think realistically, you know, there's a lot to deal with, um, uh, in this state, there's a lot of complexities and you, yeah. you've got to really have a good strategy and focus. And really when you're investing $300,000 or whatever you're investing, say it's $50,000, you know, two three thousand dollars in a in a in a in a consultant is is really a drop in the bucket. It gets you going and gets you success, and you know, and that you know that's that's kind of that's where the business has really gotten to today. And I would do, I'm doing a lot more than just you know, uh, you know, just just giving plans. I mean, um, you know, so it's you know it's it's a, it's a fun it's a fun it's a fun job. It's a good professional. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, I think probably what what most people probably only look at it as you know is like like what you said it's it's fun, but it's a lot of work too and and uh, you know having those realistic expectations on like you just mentioned the cost to to pay somebody to come and help maximize. You know, if you're going to, like you said, if you're going to spend that kind of money, pay those property taxes and, you know, only be able to, to, uh, hunt it, you know, like do what your, your top intended purpose was for when you purchase that place, you know, what maybe, you know, 10 on average, probably 10 times a year, unless you live right next to where you hunt, you know, it's, it's worth it to, to go that little extra step that actually has that huge payoff of getting it right so that you can get in there and get it done. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you're in New York, make sure you uh, look up John. We'll give his information here at the end of the episode to talk about it. But, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's build on this here a little bit more. So diverse landscape, certain, certainly a, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe in a way, a polarized state when it comes to, uh, uh, not just values, but but just an understanding of what hunting, <laughs> what hunting accomplishes. You know, I think you kind of hit it well when you're you, you didn't necessarily come right out and say this, but it's something I've thought of. You know, as we have quote unquote, uh, you know, further developed as a species in our understanding and and the way we conduct society, we in a sense have 
really forgotten our roots and have forgotten the most basic things of living, which is that what I eat actually comes from somewhere. And, uh, where is that place? <laughs> and what is, what is it? The that grocery I, store. Right, right, right. And, <laughs> and so when, <laughs> exactly right. And, and so when, when, uh, you know, we see people that, that kind of forget that, you know, it's just, it's just kind of, uh, I don't know, in a way sad, maybe, you know, it makes, it, it makes me think of things that we've lost that are going to be really hard to recover. And, uh, um, you know, I could get real philosophical here about, <laughs> about, uh, uh, everything that concerns me as somebody who loves the land and tries to live close to it. So, but no, that's, uh, that's, that's all uh, really good information there. Now let's get a little bit more specific though, about this diverse place for deer, which is the state of New York. In general, what are the preferred habitat areas, you know, based on the landscape there for deer? And in general, you know, what are the food sources? And maybe you could just kind of, uh, you know, take us through, um, take us through food sources during the hunting season. And, and if you want, you could throw them in the off season too, because that is important from a land management standpoint. You want to keep deer on your property, but in general, what are deer looking for in New York? So <clears throat> we are very lucky in New York. We, we typically don't have the droughts that are experienced in the Midwest. Hmm. Um, good cycle of weather systems come through here constantly. Now people will argue with me, Hey, it's been dry for 15 days. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, New York is, is, is nice. We have a shorter growing season, right? So on average, I would say uh, anywhere between hundred to 150 days. So it's a shorter growing season. We have very difficult winters hmm. that dictates precisely the food and the food availability. So you got to look at food seasonally. And, you know, I've had to kind of mold my mind to think more about this. Um, now, in some areas where you have a, a large deer population, we'll take Western New York. Um, and Western New York is very similar to Eastern parts of Ohio. And they have a lot of kind of look and feel the same. Um, certain areas are a lot more rugged. They have kind of a Pennsylvania uh, skyscraper type mountainous uh, example. Um, but you know, when you're looking at seasonal food and you're thinking about it in the context of, you know, what deer need, you know, deer need to meet their basic nutritional demands, right? right. They have certain consumption levels, calorie intake, just like humans, right? They have to meet those annually. Um, in the wintertime, deer's metabolic state slows, right? And in doing so, uh, the deer almost... Uh, I don't want to say to go in a hibernation state, but they have a tendency to slow down their focus on thermal regulating, uh, surviving, right? And so if you take that basic principle, if you were to make a deer hunting property just awesome and you focused on food and cover, food being paramount, cover being number two, and cover being better supported by the term security, so secure cover in concert with food, and you made sure that it had an ideal consumption. So we'll just say annual consumption rates are two to 10% of body weight, you know, so you can do the math, you know, depending on the size of your deer, 
um, available food. You know, it could be anywhere from a couple thousand to 5,000 pounds annually. Um, and where I'm going with that is if you look at the seasonal differences is we have a lot of rain. So we have a lot of herbaceous areas, um, a lot of fallow fields. Uh, New York used to be the, a huge agriculture state, and it still is to some degree. But a lot of those fields have, 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 have uh, transitioned into fallow. And so you get a lot of available food, uh, asters, pokeweed, um, partridge pea. You get you get perennial forbs and annual forbs and grasses. Um, mm -hmm. And those consumptive qualities degrade over time, right? They, the plants start to senesce. Sure. As, yeah. they, as, they, as they degrade, their interest level is decreasing. Um, so let's get into m maybe more of the later, you know, summer, fall. Um, we don't have the drought periods. So you can really you can really uh, manipulate, um, you could have multiple seasonal uh, plantings. So people think for some reason, this is the asinine part of the industry. People think the food plots are just kind of like, okay, we put a fall food plot in, or we're creating uh, 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 dough factories if we have all season food. <laughs> um, that's just the symptom of the volume of deer on a property or volume of deer in an area yeah um mm -hmm. you need to be focused and this is this is the best strategy you need to be focused on all seasonal food uh, i'm a huge advocate of that um if you listen to anybody who promotes otherwise they don't necessarily understand the nutritional demands and you can create interest all season long so let's flip flash forward to fall right so a lot of the plants the forbs that are naturalized start to senesce and the valuable food starts to, to you know you know, start to decline. And then we've got these food sources. Now the basic simple food source that a lot of people like to plant in our areas and they're planting them right now is winter rye. It's mm. super cheap, $15 a bag, you know, roughly, um, 15, $20 a bag, uh, grows just thrown on the soil, just like you would hope for. Um, mm -hmm. and it, it's, it's one of those food sources that will last you all through the winter months into the spring months. Now, the cellulose levels and the lignin cotton increases tremendously and it's not digestible and edible for deer at some point, but it provides a tremendous amount of food. And it's, it's really, you know, I'll go in an area and I'll clear it out, let's say mid July or August, early August, I'll go clear out an area that was, let's just say an old field and I'll put a patch of that in. And, you know, it's very minimal work and effort to get um, available food in, into some of those areas. Mm -hmm. So going back to your question on seasonal food, um, basically food sources change. You need to be attentive to those things. This is where attention to detail starts to matter for, you know, your, you, your, your listeners. Um, those that put more time in the woods that assess things at a finer level. Um, and I'm guilty of not doing this all the time. Um, will really reap the benefit of understanding deer needs because the deer tell you, when you walk in the woods and you see ash or beech or some type of plant consumed, um, and, and you probably don't have many beech on Iowa, but um, you start to see certain plants consumed. You can start to digest, digest and understand, pun, um, <laughs> what deer necessarily um, mm. want and need at those seasonal points in time. And it's all different. As an example, today I was working with a client. He goes, the deer are eating burdock on my property. I was like, 
you talking about deer eating burdock on your property? <laughs> He's like, yeah, they're eating like the stems. I said, are you serious? I said, I've never seen that. I'm like the stem, not the leaf. He's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I'm fine. And I'm like, okay. So we had this little bit dry spell. Maybe it's a water content thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so deer eat, there's like 731 species that, that deer, that deer focus on wow. me in my profession knowing a lot about deer i don't know every single one of those sure i'm not a botanist i don't intend to be one but i can say oh deer ate that oh there's a bunch of that there that's good and i think people should start if you don't even know what the plan is it doesn't matter they consume it identify it and find if it's all over your property preserve it you know that's a pretty basic example and that's just again understanding seasonal food and then uh i'll give you one little bit more information here so fall winter months right so yeah hunting the, season <laughs> oh yeah right the, the focus right and and food plots are king right that directs movement it controls deer interest levels right yeah. uh, it helps stage and set up uh the social interaction for deer okay now we're getting into this is the this is the deep part of it now what happens after the breeding season deer go back in survival mode right the does have already been in survival mode the entire season. <laughs> you know, they're trying to run away from, from the pesky you know, roadrunner. And, uh, and, and but here's the deal. The deer in our areas, uh, again, they go in this metabolic state. Their consumption levels cha- change, right? They get reduced. They're starving and yep. they're eating plants on the side of the road. Um, <laughs> but their, their forage interest um, increases, whereas they're eating more uh, pretty material on average. So this is good statistics for your, for your listeners, for, for those areas that where the deer are suffering uh, 600 to 800 woody tips. That's size dependent, location dependent. They have to eat that per day, six to wow. eight. That equates to wow. you know, a few pounds of food potentially. Um, and so if you think about that consumption level, do you have enough woody material on your property? Now, Back to your original question, what's New York State look like? It's mostly forested. So how do you provide more food at their level um, for deer to consume? You cut trees. That's simple. And they re-sprout. And the available seed sources that are in the local region uh, replenish. Uh, You create mechanical uh, patch cut openings. And aesthetically, it may not be super pleasing, but there's a lot of strategies to how to do those correctly, where to do them, why to do them, right? Uh, North slopes, south slopes, west slopes, east slopes. Um, But yeah, it really kind of puts that in perspective when you start thinking about uh, the best tactics. So I think I answered your question a long about way, but- No, that's great. It's complicated. The seasonal food sources change. So just start taking notes, simple. Yeah, I like that explanation. That makes a lot of sense. Man, I'm just yeah. not dying to ask you a deer biology question here, but uh, I I know that that's not necessarily your exact job, but no. um, you yeah. you you, uh, <laughs> you may know the answer, but I don't want to get too far down that rabbit trail, so I might wait to ask you until uh, I kind of had this light bulb moment while you were uh, saying something there, uh, but yeah, it's she- it's a definite rabbit trail, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wait till after the episode and then uh, whenever I get like a a deer biologist on here and we're going more into the deer biology uh, side of things, then I'll uh, be sure to ask that question. But (laughs) that was, that was really good information there. And, and man, talk about 
a generalist, you know, if this even if this statement even makes sense, a generalist specialist, <laughs> seven hundred and thirty-one different species of uh, of uh, plants that deer are going after. That's uh, that's pretty crazy to to consider. Yeah. But um, I like how you said that though. You know, something that anybody with you know with zero biology background could could take away from this, and that is. Pay attention to what you see deer eating a lot of and have more of that, you know, whatever it is, just, just encourage that to be on your property. That's, that's really good, good advice. Okay. All you fellow first gen hunters, veteran hunters, and anyone else with a great big fat hunting dream that you have not yet tapped into. I'm talking directly to you right now. And this is a personal testimony yep you're hearing it straight from the horse's mouth and that is because i am a customer of good old alex gruen over at east to west hunts and i'm going to tell you right now there is not a better hunt planning service in the business here is how thorough alex is i'm just going to give you that that first person testimonial that hopefully will help seal the deal for you after i get done recording this ad I'm going to use a promo code that Alex sent to me via text message to save me big bucks on a really nice hunting pack that I've had my eye on for months now. And uh, he just kind of came up with this promo code just yesterday, got it in the mail or something. He said, you know what? I'm going to save this for you. I know you got your eye on this pack. He sent it to me. Alex has sent me workout tips. Alex has been there around the clock for all my inquiries on different pieces of gear from sleeping bags to tents to rifle scopes and he's got connections all over the place so he he knows where to send you to get you the right stuff to not only make it so that you can get out on the hunt but you can be comfortable get a good night's sleep and hunt effectively each and every day of your trip truly maximizing the dollars spent to get there and I think that's probably the biggest value in all of this. Alex has so much experience hunting all over North America that when he sends you somewhere, you're not going there blind. No, he's going to send you to specific places within these units that he, either through his vast network with guides and outfitters or from his own personal experience, his own waypoints that he's saved on his hunting maps, that he'll share with you so that you have the best chance at being successful. So head over to www.alexgruen.com and do your hunt planning with Alex through East to West Hunts. Be sure though, when you go through and you start checking out all the options, I should say he's got multiple options there, depending on what your the right price point is for you. Be sure you enter the First Gen Hunter Podcast listener code first gen 10 at checkout when you enter that in you'll get 10 percent off of any service you purchase through alex again that's www.alexgruen.com use the promo code first gen the number 10 at checkout save yourself 10 percent and get going on that hunt that you've been putting on the back burner for all these years this is important to consider because you know my background um and doing this right. Um, I, I, I'll just be frank. I consider myself a killer. Um, and, and 
my background in doing this is starting to think offensively. That whole change in tactics and start now every minute movement of either my hunting tactics or studying deer really kind of reshaped everything I did. And, you know, 15 years ago, I started doing property management and design six years ago. I did my first property over 15 years ago and uh, I'm 39 now. And, um, you know, I'll just say the evolution, um, uh, I have to be very simple with everybody because, you know, people don't work on, on, uh, they, they want the answer. They, they right. don't want the minutia mm-hmm. of everything. But I'll tell you this. If you take the time um, to study what deer do and then put a story to that, tell yourself a story, um, you know, try to make it realistic. Um, you're going to be so much further ahead than everybody else. Um, I, I, I can't tell you. Um, I don't I don't care if you're a wildlife biologist. I don't care if you're um, a forester. The discipline and experience that, that some of us have, and me, for example, right, I've done a lot of uh, forest management uh, plans uh, in my own in my own design philosophy. I, I work with a professional forester. There's two of them that I work with, but sure. I have a different philosophy than they do. And um, you you're combining a lot of disciplines into uh, the bottom line is we want to kill more deer or uh, achieve some result and it takes tactics from all these different angles to figure it out and you mm-hmm. the forester doesn't know exactly what the hunter or killer knows which has no correlation necessarily the wildlife biologist because even though they study gps movements do they have the tactics and know all to, to make it happen so you, sure. it's, it's a combination of disciplines <clears throat> that make this particular when you said generalist uh, uh, it's, it's exactly correct. I mean, it is a generalist in multiple fields. Uh, you have to know how to manage timber. You have to know how to manage fields. You have to know how to manage soil. You have to know man- how to manage sunlight. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have mm-hmm. hunting tactics. Um, you know, it really creates, you know, if people want to get into this business, I would say don't, there's way more money to be made elsewhere. However, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you did want to get into mm-hmm. this, I guarantee, you know, and I, I said 15 years, it started when I was 12 years old, walking around in, in an industrial setting. Yeah. So for 30 years, over 30, you know, about, you know, thereabouts, right? We'll just say 30 years, I've been doing something different and, you know, achieving some levels of success beyond, um, I think what I, I intended to, to achieve because I'm just so passionate about it and nothing gets past me. Right. Yeah. Everything is an observation. I'm studying the hunter, my neighbors, as much as my own ground. I want to know everything they're doing. I'm learning every tactic. I'm talking them just to learn exactly how they approach things. You, there's so much information around you that you have to dissect um, that you, it, it takes a deep involvement interest. And frankly, the clients that I'm getting, you know, I, I can tell you that they all want to achieve some level of change. And it's, it's a struggle getting them to recognize how much investment and time is required to get that level of change. And that's really what I yeah. struggle with at times with, with individuals. Um, you're hunting less. So I'll just tell you last year. I mean, let's just say I put 25 days into my property. I hunted eight times last year. Eight times. Mm-hmm. Eight times. That's all I hunted last year. Right? I, killed my tar- I told, killed my target buck. I passed up. 
uh, my secondary buck, which probably should have been my primary buck two times. I passed up 150 inch deer, which I've talked about in another podcast. And this is a buck that I'm going after this year. And there's a whole saga with him, but you know, it's, it's that level of interest and detail. And then knowing that if I put the work in the off season, the, 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 the time to kill and the tactics are, are so much different. I'm not doing the Andre DeQuisto De bump and dump. That doesn't work here in New York state. He ought to come out to here and, and try the bump and dump. In New York state. <laughs> you know, we'd be lucky to shoot a year and a half. Um, but in his area, that's feasible. You're right. He's in a different, he's in a different environment. Sure. And uh, right. I envy, I envy him. I envy him, you know, um, but you, you've got to really play to your strengths in this environment. I, I went on a tangent all over the place there, but you know, there's a lot you can gain by, by thinking about things very tactically. And, and that's really the focus of, of, uh, of my business really. And then, and, and be a generalist. Anybody can, anybody can uh, approach things with a finer level uh, of detail and, and, and find success out of it, you know? So, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, John, and I mean, I was going to ask, you know, John, do you work, do you end up finding yourself working with, you know, real estate agents as well in the sense of, you know, people are I really kind of liked what you had mentioned before about, you know, kind of a pre-purchase kind of overview. And do you find yourself kind of working in conjunction with, you know, with potential buyers and agents as well, or is it kind of just totally independent? How, you know, what, what does it look like for you? So that's actually, that, that just came up, uh, a client called me tonight and there's more interest in that area. Um, the, pro- the problem is, right, it's, uh, you know, it's an, the, the pre-purchase thing um, could be a, a great business venture. And I've done a few of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Until they own the property, um, you know, obviously that gets me in to do a consulting visit with them. But until they own the property, you know, people. People aren't as invested as they need to be. Right. To, it, it's, it becomes supplemental. And most of the time um, you're dealing with recreationalists. So they have to be a very uh, serious hunter. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to find those matches. I mean, there's 18 million lake acres of private land here in New York state. It's, it's, it's tremendously huge, right? There's a million deer, yeah. you know, deer hunting, you know, we, we kill about a quarter of those deer every year. Um, you know, we are the primary predator. We are the apex predator in this area. And yeah. And and the thing is that level of interest in the deer and the hunting pressure and everything, you know, my business has been able to expand tremendously just solely based on references. I barely advertise. Um, you know, I basically I haven't really needed to do too much advertising because of the quality of work right and if you're not successful i'm not successful so it's like yeah i had no choice but to, to to bleed and my clients stay with me right um today i was working on a client property physically working with a client we got torn up by ground bees which was great <laughs> but you know, you know 85 degree weather super humid running chainsaws i couldn't have been happier um yeah and, and so so there's an implementation side of it there's the consulting side of it, which is pretty much my forte. And then there's the pre-planning or pre-purchase side of it. So I'll do that all with anybody. Um, and, and I would suggest people, um, even in other states, I, I'm traveling a bunch this year. I'm going out of state. I'm not just hunting New York. I mean, New York is one of the highest pressured states in the country. There's more hunters per square mile here than almost any other state in the country. Seven times greater wow. than Wow, Iowa. I didn't know that. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah. It's so you got to sit back and say to yourself, okay, if 
hunting pressure is paramount um, and it becomes a huge factor in how deer behave, then those individuals that are able to kill significantly mature, you know, mature deer for the, for the low location, they must be doing something unique uh, hmm. and have an kind of individualized specialty in, in approaching those situations. And, and that, that really sets me up on a, a different setting or, you know, uh, a platform than, than other folks. So I don't mind traveling a state. The eco regions are different, right? So the tactics are different based on eco regions. Um, yeah. But, but but deer behavior is different in dirt in certain environments, which yeah. dictate how you design a hunting property. So right. not a tangent, but that plays into the whole whole um, schema of how I, I go about um, design. And like my reports are uh, over a hundred pages, right? So you don't get, it's like, it's a whole architecture of, of what to do. Yeah. You know, it's not just like, here's your map, you know, uh, good luck. It's, you know, and the, right. you know, it's, it's not a generalist map. It's very discreet. You're going to plant these species in this area based on this soil type, right? You're going to um, cut this size. This is what it's going to look like. There's examples of how to cut timber, what timber you cut, what timber you don't cut, how to evaluate those, right? Mm-hmm. Clients can do all this stuff. You know, if you just yeah. gotta have the time, you know. Yep. Yeah. No, that's a good point, and uh, I like how you brought that up about pressure specifically being a a uh, you know differing factor. That's uh, that's um, something I've come to learn over the past couple seasons. You know, I I kind of cut my teeth in hunting on uh, listening to a, a podcast where the the guy was uh, from a state that. It does have very high hunting pressure, much higher than here in Iowa. And um, what I learned over the past couple seasons was, per his advice, that he was, you know, his his contact or like the word you used, his schema that he was speaking from hunting pressure is super high. So you have to be very careful not to do this, this, and this. Well, mm-hmm. I would apply that same level of you know, delicately going about hunting here in Iowa in places that were, you know, a fraction as pressured <laughs> as as yeah. uh, where he was. And what I found was I was hurting myself by, by doing that because the deer were different, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, playing, playing like he was, was not going to get me in position to, to get a, a, a good kill shot and so yeah i think that's a i think that's a great a great point you make deer you know good good management good management in on one side of the country is not necessarily the same as it is on the other side of the country so that's a that's a really good good point i think in states like iowa and illinois um your ability i was just in ohio recently your ability to be aggressive goes through the roof now here if you're overly aggressive um you know, you, so here's another tactic, right? So I, I hunt, I hunt on land, right? Where other people hunt. Uh, I'm not the, you know, I'm, I, I only own 50 acres. I lease a property with a bunch of farmers. Um, and you know, that they're the good old hillbilly boys that I like to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I like hunting the pressure property the best. And, and here's why. My tactics go up every single time, right? I have to be so in tuned with deer movement in those areas. And I can't manipulate these areas. I don't have any, I can't manipulate vegetation. The only thing I can do in this one area is cut trails. 
Hmm. So yeah. long story short, um, it's, it's all about early and often. So I will go after a deer extremely aggressive, knowing full well, if I don't kill that deer by like October 10th, um, there's going to be two or three other guys in there hunting. Right. So I've got to, I've got to yeah. know their cycle of hunting. I've got to know their attitude, you know, how they approach things. Um, you know, what, you're, you're basically hunting your competition. So sure. early yeah. and often I'll be more aggressive in a situation like that. Um, but in your situation, hunting those States, I'd be extremely aggressive. Um, the, the deer don't know any better. And, you know, one of the tactics in, in our state is, is focusing on maintenance, clothing maintenance and, uh, boot maintenance. And those are all like really specific tactics, how you're managing your clothing. I don't care if you're wearing Sika or whatever fusion or what that, it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters, right? Are you able to, you know, not have clothing that's falling, falling all over the place and falling apart, right? And are you managing a certain way in order to kind of eliminate as much human scent? And these deer are so inclined to focus on, um, things we leave behind the deer are hunting us their observation yeah. after the sun goes down is they're taking intel they're data collectors yeah. that schnauzer yeah. that they're using is is they're working against us 24 7 so for us not to concentrate on you know what we can do um so the strategy with my clients is ghost like hunting um basically you know if if you could drop me in on a helicopter you know what would that look like right? You need to replicate that on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Minimizing disturbance, maximizing, you know, your ability to interact with those deer without creating, you know, too much friction and establishing yeah. the negative behavior. And okay, I'm going to go on one more tangent. Um, <laughs> the efficiency in your hunting is, is paramount, right? I keep talking about that. I just wrote an article for a hunting magazine, uh, North American Deer Hunter on this specific topic. And here's, here's why I want Here's why I wrote this. And this is all, I think a result of my home life, my wife, I have two kids. My wife is very, very, uh, strict on my free time and I want to hunt. Right. So I'm limited to time. I can relate to this, right? So this year I had four shooters. Um, and, um, I've never had this many shooters, you know, world-class deer in our area is about 120 inch. Uh, and more than likely, you know, it's a three and a half or four and a half year old, right? That's world-class, mm-hmm. right? Most, most sure. deer, that's in my central New York region. You go to the Eastern part of the state, you're lucky to have a hundred inch deer at five years old. Hmm. So there's, wow. it's totally different, totally different arena. The, the food source, the soil fertilities, all those things play into the nutritional, uh, what we tell the nutritional base, right? Um, so, mm-hmm. What came about this year is I was overwhelmed. I had a decision to make, right? What deer am I going to kill? Um, and my decision to go after those deer, right? Picking, selecting the right days, right? What were the factors that went into it? How are the deer behaving? You know, how are they socially interacting? Like I'm looking at all these like different factors, right? A lot of it's remote monitoring. I'm using cell cameras now. Um, and you know, what, what came about was I had to make a decision to kill a deer on a certain day. And literally, I've killed this deer. I said, I'm going to kill him before noon. It's probably going to be after 10 o'clock. He's going to come out of this bedding area, circle on going into this other bedding area, right? And these are these are pre-planned areas. This is on my own 50 acres. Uh, I'm a big advocate of wind-based bedding. Up to that point, I had passed up three shooter bucks, all right? So, you know, and again, these are all bucks in the 120, 130, 140 class range. So 
the decision to go after one specific deer at that time is based on all these different factors. And it wasn't a factor of moon. I paid no attention to the moon. Hmm. Some your listeners are probably going to think, what the hell is this guitar? Maybe from a feeding cycle, I might. But but realistically, the deer wanted to change its 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 bedding location. And, and I knew that because um, that deer had made one similar move three weeks before that this is before uh maybe the start of hunting season and he made that one move three weeks before i said oh my god there's a behavior pattern there's a reason why he made that decision the same cycle weather cycle came three weeks later and that's when i killed that deer Hmm. and so that was one data point one data point i made a move the reason I bring this up is my wife me, makes me really efficient, right? She she says, you've only really got X amount of days to hunt. So I'm really focused on the right days to hunt sure. and being efficient, you know, and trying to focus on this little detail. This deer was wind-based bedding in this area. Wind changed mm-hmm. at this time. They moved to that area. And he, he replicated the same exact scenario, you know, three weeks later and I killed him. And and those are stories that I've, I've got multiple stories like that. But again, it's that back to that attention to detail. And I think that's mm-hmm. really critical for your for your listeners to f- focus in on. So, Well, you know, John, I'm glad you looped back in there and gave uh, your wife some credit there for helping you out with your success because I was worried you were, you were going to land yourself in the doghouse there earlier. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eight days just day. went down yeah. to two, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's no, a that's, that's a good point. She limits me, right? She's yeah. got a noose around my neck. <laughs> when your whole life is focused on deer hunting, what do you think, what do you think she's going to want to do? Oh, enjoy deer season? You've been yeah. doing that all, all year. Like, that's that's right. Kill anything. That's right. That's <laughs> like, right. No, you, can, you can do that all year. You know, so that's funny. That's that's a that's a good point there on on really capitalizing on the time because honestly, you know, that's we joke, but that is a temptation. And I think especially for bow hunters, because yeah. everything's gotta work out so much. <laughs> so much more perfectly when you're bow hunting than it does when you're you're gun hunting. No knock against gun hunting. I love gun hunting, but but um yeah. to to get it to get on an animal within bow range, that takes time. And so the the uh temptation can be just to do just that, put way more time into the stand. But you're right, we need to be efficient oh, because we need to yeah, be thinking about everybody yeah, else. Days, yeah, the days of doing that, you know, I used to do all day sets. I haven't done an all day sit in well i'll do it for opening day of gun season around here but you know though that's just it's you know you could be so much more efficient so much more productive um if nothing look at this statistically if you if you basically take all your trail camera data and i, I would say any of your listeners buy as many trail cameras as you can set them out don't check any of them don't hmm. check one single trail camera and just collect that data in fact have an area that you never hunt and set up let's say a hundred acres, you know, put it in 15 or 20 trail cameras and just collect data. Um, now hopefully the property is designed well where you can get most of the deer and statistically start figuring out movement and patterns. Now this is about any manipulation. Once you start manipulating vegetation, it'll change things. In fact, it'll make it a little more concrete how deer move. Um, you'll be able to get better statistics and know a little bit more, but look at the dates and time and just log those. This location, date, and time, and statistically yeah. go right down the go right down the board, without even looking at anything, even looking at weather, you'll find days that are more optimal or 
periods of time that are more optimal for your property, when deer are using your property. That does change. You can you can get deer to use your property more frequently. You can get more deer on your property. You can get less deer on your property. And it's not all trigger control. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that goes into the strategy of, of defining and understanding, you know, deer take, deer interest, um, all that type of stuff that goes into it. But statistically, you can figure that out without even doing much. Just, you know, run an Excel spreadsheet, you know, hmm. pretty easy. So. Yeah. Yep. And that, that would be that, you know, that would be kind of a, just a layman's way to start to look at it. Then you get a little bit more discreet. Maybe you're picking out a specific deer. Okay. You got to get a little bit deeper, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, it just depends on your goals. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's, that's good. And, uh, I agree, you know, get that, find that way to get that data. And that's actually something I need to do is get on top of my trail cameras for this, this season there. A lot of them are still sitting in boxes from the move, but I plan to just get them, <laughs> get some out here probably now, you know, maybe this week, next week. Uh, so that way, uh, the scent intrusion of, of all those cameras sitting in uh, boxes of uh, non-deer, <laughs> deer, n- normal deer smelling things can kind of fade away co- going into uh, deer season. But, but um, you know, one thing I would add there too on a tip is, uh, and, and I guess I, I would uh, be interested in hearing both John and Brandon's perspective on this because you guys have so much more experience than I do. One of the things I've been paying a lot more attention to when people post uh, pictures of just some giant old buck or something that they get on on trail camera is how often those old deer are looking right into the camera. And um, a good friend of mine who uh, is possibly the best deer hunter I know, a guy who's been on the show before, uh, no offense, Brandon, by the way. <laughs> oh, hey, none, none taken, none taken at all. <laughs> yeah, good old, uh, good old uh, uh, Chris Dyer here in Iowa. Uh, that guy, he just lives and breathes deer hunting and um he made a big point about that to me once he he uh um kind of in a blunt way he told me what do you think he's looking at when he's looking right into that camera he sees this big giant red light glow or this white flash that's not normal and so uh you got to be you got to be careful too you know when you're hanging those cameras try and get them at an angle and actually i use a tactic that brandon taught me uh which is you know get them on a tree that's kind of sloping down a little bit so you can kind of get that that unique angle that the deer aren't gonna look into so naturally and get a better view of the deer kind of thing um would you agree with that you two that you got to be careful about that that you aren't you aren't making deer feel especially in a high pressure state like you're talking about there in new york that you aren't making deer feel your pressure when you aren't even in there by putting your cameras in places that are spooking deer. Yeah. I mean, I totally, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not subscribing to putting cameras like way super high in trees and it's hard to get them out. Sure. I mean, I, I like the advent of, of cellular cameras. I think they've been a game changer for me. Um, you know, just from data collection standpoint, not having, you know, I don't use observation like I used to, right. I'm using sure. a camera to give me kind of these finite bits of, data mm-hmm. um you know i think putting your hands placing your hands on cameras i check all my cameras in the rain i check them typically at night mm. um i don't i won't check a camera till um after their feeding time so you know it, it could be it could be about midnight 
Um, it could be just you know, now, that you, now that you say that, I, ju- I have heard somebody say that before. Can you kind of mm-hmm. e- explain your reasoning there? That's a, that's a great little tip. Yeah. So look at, look at their feeding patterns, right? Um, they're crepuscular, right? So they're, mm-hmm. they're going to move kind of in that, that, that evening setting. Um, they do not recognize. So the volume of pressure, have you ever walked in the woods not, not like this sounds illegal. Like I'm walking through woods poaching deer with flashlights. But if you walk around in the woods and you're <laughs> shining deer, you know, their reaction is much different than during daylight hours, right? Yeah. Um, they have awareness of when we yeah. utilize areas, right? So if you, again, in the off chance, and then I love the weather because the weather washes away the dirtiness of our, our hands. Yeah, and our, right. Yeah, um, yeah. I think using the weather to your advantage and then looking at the time cycle when you want to check deer. Um, go back to the statistics that we talked about earlier. When are deer even using your area? If they're using it very frequently in an evening setting after hours, I'm probably going to be less inclined to go on the property to check cameras during that time. I'm going to try to check it when the deer are, are, are not in that area. Um, I think there's a lot of scent contamination and, you know, we don't always take care of stuff and I don't want to get all like, and I'm going to do the Eberhart thing where I put on my, you know, my trash bag suit and walk in. You know, he's, he's an interesting, kind of an odd character, but he's very interesting in the fact of how much preparation he puts yeah. into some of these things. Yep, very detail-oriented. And frankly, I, I, I'm not going to do that. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think hang them a little bit higher. Um, you know, blackout cameras are probably the better option. You lose a little yeah. bit at night, but, you know. We're trying not to spook deer. And mm-hmm. key locations, I think, concealing the cameras, I think that's really intelligent. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if deer's putting, I mean, if I'm designing a hunting property, I'm leaving shrubbery in the field, even though it's a distraction to putting food plots in, uh, just to conceal a camera. Mm. I'll leave an invasive bush in the center of a field that I can hide a camera in, mm. just because it allows me to conceal the camera. I'm not worried about height. Yeah. I'm not going to take that camera, and it's usually going to be a cell camera. But there's an example of using structure to your advantage. Um, and then, obviously, it camouflages that. So I think people need to think more about those topics. Yeah. I, uh, I, I totally, totally uh, agree that we have to find that balance of, of uh, you know, what's <laughs> what we're capable of tolerating, I guess you could say. If somebody is like John mm-hmm. Eberhardt, more power to him, you know, that they're right that you you should go to that measure but brand and i have talked about this before too where you can start to kind of get a little crazy when you're uh looking over all the the different ways you can try to mit- mitigate yourself when you're uh your, your your own personal footprint when you're walking into the deer woods but those are some great tips there wait for it to be raining wash that scent away or wait wait for um you know the time when the deer are going to be out of there i'm glad you brought that up that that's uh that's a really good tip. So, well, as uh, we draw to a close here, John, just in our last little survey here, maybe in like five minutes or less. So I don't, you know, I'm not trying to make you stay up, <laughs> stay up for an extra, and I'm trying not to make you stay up for an extra hour here tonight or yeah. something, but, um, you know, this being first gen hunter podcast, we hopefully are having plenty of people who are, you know, 
pretty well new to hunting. And yeah. one of the biggest challenges that you can probably remember from when you first were starting is how do I find the deer? <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, from your from your state and let's go let's not you know factor new york city into this necessarily i think that could be a whole separate podcast of you know hunting in the suburban areas around new york city but but um from 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 the tourist perspective here upstate new york <laughs> uh mm-hmm. where do you people find deer during those classic phases of the hunting season early season pre-rut rut late season where are the deer at i I think it all boils down to habitat quality i think that dictates um a lot of the interest points for deer uh males and females they have different food preferences Hmm. uh the quality and quantity of food is going to vary so go back to the selection and if you have trail cameras in an area um, and i think everyone should observe right observation if you can have long distance observation points to figure out how deer are using areas and what they're feeding on and why they're in an area um or why they might be in an area and tell yourself those stories and try to figure out the whys of everything hmm. i think that'll I'll, i think that'll help kind of define seasonally what deer are doing um you know early season in, in my case october um i'm focused on very isolated um areas i will go after deer in his bedroom in the morning oh that's like People say, never do that. I will do that. Hmm. Uh, and I have done that and I've killed deer. Um, but I usually do it right off the bat. Um, the, you know, the mm-hmm. deer don't have the level of pressure. As hunting pressure increases throughout the right. season, you know, that creates more complexities, right? So I think focus on very basics. Focus on look at first sign. Have your areas all pre-scouted. So figure out what deer, definitely if you can pre-scout after the season, after hunting season, Use that as a data point. But if you have to scout during the season, you got a new property, focus on sign. I tend to not focus on sign because everything's pre-planned out, right? I design hunting properties. The deer better be doing what I hope they, they need to do. But simple things of just focusing on the amount of feces in an area. Hmm. Um, look at an area and figure out how much fecal matters in there. That have a tendency to tell you how much they're using. When deer are very comfortable, they have a ten- tendency to defecate. So think about that in, in locating deer. That'll help you predict when deer are using an area. But your camera should tell you that. Now, um, where to hunt them and figuring that location out. Um, like I said, isolated bedding areas is kind of a focus right off the bat. Food sources are the major driver, right? Evening food sources. Um, that starts to get distracted as you start to get more towards the fall time. Now, the bucks and does tend during the aggregation period so when they're going to sexually mate they they have a tendency to use the same food sources at that time but generally speaking the does this is the whole doe factory thing and the, the the whole concentration is does tend to concentrate in an area because particularly food plots because that's the highest nutritional value of food in the entire area well, mm-hmm. what if you're manipulating the whole landscape and you basically cut down a whole timber lot and then you get all this, you know, uh, biomass growing all over the place, tons of food. It's all over the place. You've produced more food, you know, per acre for deer across the landscape. That's going to create a bigger dispersion of deer. So the point I'm trying to make is look at the individual areas that provide food that the deer are consuming and focus on those and focus on those all the way through the hunting season until 
the breeding season phase hits. You don't need 13 seasons of this or that. There's basically a few seasons, right? There's early season, which is begin to survive. The secondary part of the season is, you know, in preparation for breeding. Then there's the third part of the season, which is the breeding phase. And then there's the nocturnal survival mode part of the season. Hmm. And their habits change through each one of those. It's really that simple. The breeding phase, you're looking for areas where deer want to frequent, which can be very isolated areas. Sometimes does will bed out in in the middle of a field, right, Um, in a small clump of, you know, shrubbery. Um, Sure. You know, focus on odd areas in those cases. Be unconventional. Um, Try to be more of a field edge hunter. Um, People try to get really deep into the woods. Um, I think basically I usually work outside in. Early season, I'm on the outside. Towards the breeding phase, I start to creep deeper into the woods to those discrete, you know, defined bedding areas and, you know, use your scouting and mark off areas where you think you're a bedding. And then again, you can replicate those bedding areas pretty easy. Look, figure out why a deer is using an area and just copy and paste it. And uh, if you can manipulate your landscape, then, okay, now you've created 10 more spots where the deer want to bed in this concentrated area. They're more likely to use it. Right. And, and focus on those areas during the breeding phase. And the last phase, which, you know, this is where you go back instead of insight. So we're outside in and then we kind of go, we got to go inside out. We kind of back out of the properties a little bit and don't put a ton of pressure on them because hunting season is going on. The deer are very, very skeptical. You're hunting food sources again. So you go right back to the food source. It's, Mm -hmm. it's really that simple, right? There's, you know, people get so inundated and overwhelmed with the volume of data i think i said there's three parts of the season well there's four and that last part is is it's a great time to kill big bucks um you know we we killed the big buck uh, on my property it, it almost scored 140 that's a, like a world-class deer here in new york state like i said earlier um and that was a late season hunt you know it was in december right and they okay. were focused on a cer- certain food source in a wetland area well, guess what? I never planted it. It was just naturalized hmm. and, you know, limited cover. Mm. Anyhow, so that's the story there, right? So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think you can break the seasons down. Again, use look at the scat, look at the, the volume of sign, look at the trails, use your cameras, you know, observe as much as you can. If you have as much, if you have a lot of time, the observation is great. Don't just jump in there, right? When you jump in there, you put a lot of sun all over the place. If you're yeah. hunting field settings or block timber or whatever, um, look at those landscapes at a distance, right? Buy a good set of binos, you know, start to evaluate what deer are in the area, why are they using a certain, you know, setup and, and uh, you know, just walk them back, right? And then any deer you kill, backtrack it, figure out where it came from, collect data, right? It's all about data collection and learning. Yeah. So uh, we mm-hmm. can learn everything from these deer. And by the way, the deer are not patternable. If anybody thinks that a deer is, is patternable, you know, they have patternable tendencies, but behaviorally, you know, de- there's randomness in their movements. I mean, they're not sure. like us where we get up every morning, go to Starbucks and then go off to work, right? They don't have the same, <laughs> they have all these external mm. factors that are impacting them. Very rarely is that the case. So like I gave you a story earlier, I used one factor, wind-based bedding, the deer had a common interest in an area and I attacked it. And I went after it one time and I made it happen. Um, your first mm-hmm. set typically is your best set. And uh, those are yeah. probably some good tactics for everybody. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. Really uh, practical uh, application stuff there, you know, and and kind of the theme that I come away with from everything you just mentioned there is is uh, spending time around it, either remotely through your camera or your cell camera or, uh, you know, the times that you are out there, you need to capitalize on it. And like you said earlier, you don't let anything get past you from an observation standpoint, you know. You're out there hanging a stand. Mm-hmm. You better be keeping one eye on. Are there any uh, old or even maybe some, depending on what time of the year you're setting up, some recent scrapes? Are there any? Uh, is there any evidence of an old licking branch or some old yep. rubs or or uh, you know maybe even some uh, matted down areas where the bedding looks to be pretty good for summer and possibly into the early season? You know, looking for looking for stuff like that that can help connect the dot and of course looking for things like scat and and uh, you know anything like that tracks that show that deer are there and that'll help you get closer and uh, then you start identifying some of the stuff we talked about earlier in the show what are those food sources that you see the deer you know you utilizing a lot and uh, mm-hmm. start inching closer to those areas. And uh, even if you are a first-gen hunter with a steep learning curve, you start doing those things, you'll get there, and uh, you'll get your you'll get your moment. And uh, you know, year after year, you can keep building on that and noticing those uh, those smaller details, those 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 more those more uh, minute um, factors that get deer uh, doing what they do. But also a good point. There's a big deal of randomness in it too. You know, I was I was just watching this video tonight that uh, they used a quote. It, it was a very really well done video. It's kind of like uh, one of those films that gets submitted to like the full draw film tour type of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I just love watching those. They're so good. But um, the the quote the guy said was, "Every good hunter knows that luck." has played a role and uh that's that's uh that's speaks to what you just said they're they're not entirely patternable um they do have some tendencies but don't beat yourself up because you can't crack the code on a totally autonomous animal that that is operating on a huge long list of factors that we've identified like maybe one percent of (laughs) with through all of our years of expert study you know they do their own thing and that's what makes it fun the 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 fact that it is hard it is a challenge so mm-hmm. don't don't ever uh, give up on that now john i would be and brandon you're gonna roll your eyes here i would be totally foolish to pass up on a perfectly good opportunity to ask you for uh uh your advice on where one might go shed hunting oh goodness <laughs> goodness goodness um so so uh Maybe not specific locations. I don't. I, we had a. <laughs> I sponsored this shed rally this year out of New York, and I actually talked to the guy. Um, I, I donated a crossbow, and uh, okay. I talked to the uh, the guy who won it, and I asked him the same. Very question. nice. This is, this is interesting. Um, his response, and he's got a tough. Uh, his wife is pretty tough on him. Uh, his 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 response <laughs> was was. Uh, 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 consistency. Uh, take your time. Scan the areas that have the highest food source that is of the highest interest level. 
Mm. Uh, in our areas, it's typically corn. Uh, corn is above ground, right? A lot of snow. Yep. Uh, it's got a, it's, mm-hmm. it's available. Uh, high carbohydrate content, volume, right? A lot more volume than soybean. Um, I don't plant soybeans. Um, it, well, I do plant them, but just not just not in a monoculture. Um, and you know, fo- so focus on food sources where, where they want to be. You know, you'll find the that some of the locations um, are, are typically in lower lands, right? Um, you know, off hillsides, right? Um, but in certain, certain areas, it's, it's snow load base. Um, I, I had a client this year who um, he owns, I, I think, 60 acres thereabouts. Mm-hmm. He found uh, quite a few sheds, over a dozen sheds. Um, and uh, that's, that's unheard of, right? I mean, in our areas, like I keep telling, I mean, I've said, you know, I mean, our Boone and Crockett list entries, we're, we're not on the top 20. We don't, we don't <laughs> score in the top 20, right? Um, sure. 100 inches, 120 inches, 150 inches is beyond world-class. That's unheard of. Um, wow. Focus on those food sources and, and really, um, really focus on the areas where there's a high thermal component. And when I say thermal mm. component, it doesn't necessarily have to be conifers. Conifers is preferred. But basically, some area where the deer could thermoregulate um, in the Adirondack regions, that's going to be more focused on uh, hemlocky areas that are very, very dense, um, that are next to clear cuts. In Western New York, that's going to be, again, agricultural areas um, that have uh, agricultural uh, leftovers that, that were harvested. Um, those areas are really killer around the lakes in New York State. Um, they don't have, uh, like, directly. Um, in certain areas, like a particular Batavia area, the snow loads are not great. The soils through the roof, and they got a ton of leftover ag. It's like it's it's kind of like Midwest quality, and uh, uh-huh. those areas are have the tendency to pull in the the biggest, largest sheds. Um, and actually, down in like uh, uh, Erie areas, uh, I've I've seen those be pretty productive. But they get kind of a snow load. So yeah, easiest path, most food. I mean, that's that's typically it. Um, um, uh, you know, if, if, uh, winter rye works, you know, that was one example I gave earlier. So food sources are, are king. That's, that's king. And the, the deer, again, they go back to a patternable movement that's dedicated to food because survival is king. And, you know, you'll find, um, you know, sheds on the edge and sheds in the, in the food source. So, yeah. That's that's my answer. Well, I uh, next time I'm driving across uh, New York during shed season, I'm gonna be looking at uh, public land maps, and I'm gonna hopefully go scoop up my first Empire State shed. That'd be awesome. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, John, we really appreciate you giving up your evening, and uh, don't let that Sunday work, Sunday night work anxiety uh, bite you too hard when you get off here. I know you guys; it's a little bit later on the uh, Eastern time zone, but really appreciate you coming on, Brandon. Of course, always good hearing from you. And uh, make sure you guys are heading over to thehuntfishlife.com and getting on their social media pages because there is some really good content going up, and it's about to go from good to gooder. Because mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's a word, <laughs> gooder, but uh, <laughs> but um. No, it is about to get really good there because hunting season is here pretty much. 
in uh, good old Delaware. In fact, by the time you listen to this, it is here. And uh, yes. you're going to want to be following along. There's already been some great content that Brandon's posted from uh, his trail cameras and what's been going on in his food plots and so forth. And of course, you want to see the the history of those uh, fishing trips he was talking about. Make sure you get on there and you <laughs> can... Uh, you can uh, <laughs> jealously salivate over all those uh, delicious saltwater fishes that uh, they they were landing. But yeah, make sure you uh, you pay them a visit, and then when you're done there, head over to good old firstgenhunter.com, and you can check out my articles and and uh, any other episodes of the podcast. And the store is closed. I had to switch up my tax ID since I moved, and my county changed. Mm. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm kind of waiting on that to finish getting processed, but. I think I'm going to be ready to start selling stuff here, people. The shirts are pretty sweet. Nice. Too. They're they're yes. they're, they're pretty good. I need to get one out to Brandon, but um, I'm pretty pleased about that. But stay tuned, yeah. more coming, and uh, hunting season's coming here too in Iowa. It's going coming up there in New York for John. So uh, make sure you head over to his uh, Instagram, John. Can you hit us with that real quick? I almost forgot to do that. That's an important thing to oh, do here. Yeah, that's, how can that's people fine. Uh, how can people yeah, track you you and Whitetail Landscapes down? Yeah, no, you can get a hold of me at, at John at Whitetail Landscapes. Um, that's my email, WhitetailLandscapes.com. I'm on Instagram, uh, Whitetail underscore Landscapes, and I'm also on Facebook. Um, you know, like I said, I travel all over the country. I'm I'm doing trips uh, wisconsin ohio i'll probably do a couple iowa trips next year mm. um you know i'll, I'll I, I do travel out in new york state but i'm primarily focused in the northeast um but you know you my email my contact information is on my web- website whitetaillandscapes.com um and i'm always available for questions if you have a question shoot me an email i'll respond to you um i i talk to as many people as i can i'm always learning from my clients and people that like to interact with me so you know, there's always something to learn, and and I, you know, appreciate you you both having me on the the podcast tonight, and and uh, you know, look forward to talk to you guys again. Yeah, that sounds great. Yes. Make sure you make sure you do check John out. And again, as we talked about earlier, it's worth it if you're a, a land owner and you want to have some improvements made. It's very much so worth it to uh, contact a guy like John and and um, have him come take a look, tell you what he thinks could make things better. But, anyways. Man, so much exciting stuff. I just love this time of year as we're getting into it. The anticipation builds. Get out there, be shooting your yep. bow. Get those last few stands up. Get your cameras out there on a rainy day, and uh, <laughs> in a place where you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you know, be the uh, the unwanted paparazzi where the deer are looking straight into your camera. Be smart and uh, be safe. And until next time, take care and take someone hunting. <laughs>